chapter 7, let's turn there, right where I was. So the last two weeks, we looked at the Feast of Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And remember, this was the only time of year when God commanded Israel to afflict their souls. It was, a, it was commanded that Israel fast. And remember what God said, if there's anyone among you that does not afflict their soul on this day, they, the penalty was death. So that was the most solemn day in Israel's year. Because that was the entire nation, every sin, was given to God. And they were dependent upon God to atone for their sin, to forgive their sin. It was a very, very solemn day. Remember, that occurred on the tenth day of the seventh month. If we were going by Jewish calendar, that would have been last Wednesday and Thursday. Which means we're almost to the 15th day of the month. That's going to happen in just a couple of days. So we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacle. So atonement was on the 10th day of the month. Tabernacles occurs on the 15th day of the month. And it is the exact opposite of what atonement was. If atonement was a time to afflict your soul... And to be solemn and serious and in repentance, crying out for mercy to God because of our sinfulness. Tabernacles was a feast when God commanded them not to rejoice one day, but to rejoice for eight days. The feast was actually seven days long, but then there was an eighth day, another day called the Great Day. It was the eighth day of the feast. All of these numbers are interesting. You know, the Bible always always would recommend when you're reading your Bible and God tells you a specific day and month something happens, you probably should highlight that. Because it's very interesting when you go back and you start looking at dates and numbers in the Bible. So these feasts were on the in the seventh month. Seven is the number of completion. Some say it's the number of perfection. It's the number of completion in the Bible. And on the 15th day of this month, they were to carry out the seventh day, seven-day feast, and then add an eighth day. There were seven days of creation, and the eighth day after creation was what? It was a new, it was a new week. Seven is the number of completion. Eight is the number of new beginnings. It's interesting that they're to rejoice. They're commanded to rejoice. Seven days, a complete week, they were to rejoice. But then there was an eighth day representing a new beginning. And in that new beginning, in that eighth day, they were also commanded to rejoice. I personally think this is one of the reasons that we worship God on the first day of the week, which would have been the eighth day after creation. The Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, was on Saturday. It was the seventh day of the week. It was the day God rested when he completed his work. But Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. So after the Sabbath of the Passover, God was resurrected on 
the Sunday, the first day of the week. We know it was a Sunday because the feast first fruits always happens on the first day of the week after the Sabbath of the Passover. And God raised up his son on the first day or the eighth day, the day of new beginnings. So it's not accidental that at this Feast of Tabernacles, which was a feast in which Israel was commanded to rejoice. What were they rejoicing over? Tabernacles actually represented a number of things. It represented completion of harvest. So the grain harvest began in the spring of the year, but the harvest of grapes and figs and olives and all of that was completed in the fall of the year. And harvest, or tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, was a celebration of that completion of the harvest. But it was also a commemoration of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and wandering around in the desert for 40 years, sleeping under the canopy of the sky in booths. And who is with them? Well, God was with them. Every day in a pillar of cloud, he went with them. And every night in a pillar of fire, he was with them. And every night that they spent in the wilderness under the stars, God was present with them. The Feast of Tabernacles is the feast that commemorates God tabernacling or God dwelling with his people. Some say this feast is yet to be fulfilled. I say it's already been fulfilled in Jesus because we're not waiting for Jesus to come and be with us. The Bible is clear that Jesus is with us now. He lives in you. You live in him. He is the God who promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. So tabernacles marks the reality of God dwelling with his people. And this last feast, like all others, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God with us, God dwelling in our midst. When we come to the table later on, we will say that Christ is present with us, not in the bread, but in this body. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is present with us because his body is present with us. You are his body. His church is his body. Not the building, but you are the building. You are the living tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. And wherever you go, the presence of God goes. If you are in him, and he is in you. So in John chapter 7, Jesus is in Jerusalem in obedience to the law, Keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. Because Tabernacles was one of three feasts. The Feast of Passover, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles were the three feasts in which every male was commanded by God to appear before him in Jerusalem. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, this is day number 8, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, 
whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. And others said, This, this is the Christ. But some said, Will Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Imagine that. There was a division among the people because of Jesus. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Christ recorded throughout the pages of your scripture. And we ask that you would, by the power of your spirit, open our hearts and open our minds. Deliver us from our hardness. Deliver us from our deafness. Deliver us from our blindness. God, give us hearts that are open. Give us minds that are ready. Hearts that are open to receive. Lord, your word and your truth is not received in our minds. It is received in our hearts and fed to our minds from our hearts. We ask that you would do this work for your glory. Change us, Lord. Grow us. Transform us that we would be a people conformed to your image and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, listening to the Word of God, studying the Word of God is like studying a sunset. You do not study a sunset with your ears because if you're trying to hear a sunset, you'll never hear it. And if the faculty by which you try to discern a sunset is your ear, you may come away thinking there's no such thing as sunsets because you never heard it. It's the same with God. It's the same with his word. God gave us a mind. Our minds are wonderful. There will never be a computer greater than the mind that God has put in the human body. But as wonderful as our minds are, it is not first our mind that must discern the Word of God because the Word is spiritual and spiritually discerned. It is our heart. So when you go to observe a sunset, you don't do it with your ears, you do it with your eyes. But as you observe that sunset with your eyes, guess what your ears are doing? Taking in all kinds of things that are enhancing the experience of that sunset the birds, the wind, all the things that you might hear in a nice setting as you watch the sun set over the horizon. Our heart is the faculty God gave us to receive him and to receive his word. Our hearts have to be changed. Here in this text in John, Jesus is there at the feast along with all of Israel, keeping the law of Moses, celebrating because God had accepted the sacrifice that the high priest took behind the veil. And once again, Israel's sins were atoned for until next year when the high priest would have to go again with the blood of a goat and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And every year, Israel had to do that 
in order for their sins to be atoned for. And unbeknownst to most in Israel, there stood Jesus in the midst of the temple. Who is Jesus? Well, he is the Lamb of God. He is our Passover. He is our atonement. He is the one whose blood would be taken behind the veil, not the copy on earth that stood in Jerusalem, but the true mercy seat, the true holy of holies in heaven when Jesus took his blood and the Father accepted the blood of the Son for the atonement of the sins of his people. And here is Jesus standing in Jerusalem, standing in the midst of the temple court, as all Israel celebrates the fact that God had accepted the blood of sacrifice and their sins were atoned for, now they're rejoicing because of the salvation of God. And we see in these verses three things that stand out to me. There is an invitation, there is a promise, and there's a warning that's given here by by Jesus in, in these verses. The invitation Jesus gives is, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The promise is, he who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The warning is, there was a division among the people because of him. The invitation, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That invitation begs the question, are you thirsty? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If you are thirsty, Jesus bids you to come and drink water from the well of salvation. Now that's interesting because... On this day of the feast, on this eighth day of the feast, there was this ceremony called the water drawing ceremony. It's what I talked to the kids about. And it was a big deal. And the high priest and the priest who would go in all of their garments and they would go to the well and they would draw water out of the well and they would in this procession go back to the temple and they would take the water to the altar and they'd pour the water out as an offering to God. And this was a, a procession. It was like a parade. I mean, there was music and there was dancing. It was extremely joyful. It's said in the tradition of the Jews and throughout the histories, it's been said that if you've never witnessed the celebration of tabernacles, then you don't know what it truly means to rejoice. So I can't emphasize enough what a joyful occasion this was. It's in stark contrast to the affliction and the solemn nature of atonement. And here we are just five days later and all Israel is rejoicing because they understand to the best of their ability that God had accepted their repentance and had forgiven their sin this was also the end of harvest, but it was the beginning of the rains. So this is when the rains would come, what the Bible calls the former rains. And they would come and they would soften the ground for what? 
for the sowing of seed for the harvest. Because come Pentecost again, in just a few months, they would receive the first fruits of the grain harvest. And that harvest can only take place if the rains come. And so along with this rejoicing and this celebration was this thankfulness and this gratitude and this ceremony about water was not just about their salvation, but they understood that their salvation in every way was tied to God's creation and God's provision. That if God did not send rain to them, they could not grow their grain, and if they could not grow their grain, they could not eat. And if they could not eat, they could not live. And if the rain didn't fall, if the water didn't come, their wells would have no water, and there would be nothing for them to quench their thirst with, so they understood the cycle of life, all that God had created in His creation to sustain them. And they understood that that was all created for them. This is what is so demonic about the environmental movement. Because what the environmental movement does is put the creation in the place of God, something to be worshipped. When in reality, God created everything for man. And on the sixth day, the last day of his work, God puts man in this creation, and then he commands man to take dominion over the earth, to fill it, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. With what? With the image of the glory of God. The Jews understood this, and they understood how everything was connected. And so this was a huge celebration. But right here in the middle of this celebration is this water-drawing ceremony And in the middle of this water-drawing ceremony, if you can imagine, well, the rabbis and the priests are doing their thing, and all attention is drawn to this ceremony that had taken place for century upon century upon century. All of a sudden, Jesus takes front and center stage, and he cries out with a loud voice, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 40 says, Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Who's the prophet? This is the guy that Moses spoke of. There is a prophet coming. That's all he said, a prophet. There's a prophet coming, and when he comes, listen to what he says. Remember when John the Baptist was out baptizing? He was baptizing Jews. He wasn't baptizing Gentiles. So it threw a red flag up for everybody. Why is this guy in here baptizing Jews? And they came, and they said, Are you prophet? Or are you Elijah? Or are you the Christ? Who are you claiming to be, John? John says, none, none of the above. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. 
But there is one standing among you whose sandal strap I am not worthy to even tie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with fire. Now that was Jesus. And this is much later. In fact, this is the tabernacle celebration before Jesus becomes the Passover. So in this year, in this last year of the sacred calendar of the Jews, this last year that Jesus walked the earth in his human incarnation, in this cycle of the feast, Jesus is telling his people, I am the fulfillment. Just as he did at Passover, when he was crucified on Passover, he was the Passover lamb. When he was raised on first fruits, he was the first fruits of God. When the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, it was the fulfillment of what Pentecost had pointed to and meant for centuries, ever since Moses gave it to the children of Israel at the command of God. And so here... At tabernacles, Jesus is saying, I am the living water. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And if anyone believes in me, out of his inmost being, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Listen to Isaiah chapter 12. This is the scripture that was quoted during this ceremony. And in that day, you will say, O Lord, I want you to think about Jesus as you hear the words of the prophet Isaiah penned over 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And in that day, you will say, O Lord, I will praise you, though you are angry with me. Your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength And song, he also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his deeds among the peoples. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, For great is the one of Israel, the Holy One of Israel in your midst. For great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. That day when Israel sang that chapter of Isaiah, when they sang those verses out of Isaiah, and they sang these words, cry out, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst, Little known to them was the Holy One of Israel truly in their midst, in person. As the Son of God stood in their midst. And in that moment, as they are declaring the words of the prophet from Isaiah 12, Jesus, the Holy One of Israel, stands up and says, If anyone among you thirst, let him come to me and I will give him drink. And if he believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Do you see the context? In that moment, Jesus says this. He is making a clear declaration of who he is and what he has come to do. It wasn't just the ceremony of drawing water from the wells of salvation. The very well of salvation was standing in their midst. They sang about the Holy One of Israel in their midst, but the Holy One was actually in their midst. The water they drew from the well that they brought to the altar in the temple was just water from the well. But Jesus said, I am the source of living water. And if you will trust in me, you won't just have water from a well drawn from the ground. You'll have a living water. You'll have fountains of living water, rivers of living water that will flow from your heart. Listen to the words of Jesus spoken to the Samaritan woman at the well. There is no other water that can save us. There is no other water that can eternally quench our thirst. Only in Jesus, only from the source of living water can our thirst truly be quenched. In John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Then Jesus says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. Those words recorded for us in John's Gospel, chapter 4, were at the front end of Jesus' earthly ministry. These words recorded for us in John, chapter 7, on the Feast of Tabernacles are just preceding when Jesus would go to the cross and be our Passover lamb. And you see... The contrast here. Jesus sitting at the well with an obscure Samaritan woman in the middle of the day when no one else would have been there. And he says these profound words to her that are recorded for us here in the Bible. And we know she went back to her village and she told people about the man she had met. In fact, she brought the whole village out to meet him, to see him to hear his words of life. Because that woman perceived something different about this rabbi that sat at that well that day. Because unlike all the other rabbis she had probably met before, he actually not only sat in her presence, but he actually talked with her and he asked her for a drink. Which was, we can't imagine how unheard of that was, but it was unheard of. It was scandalous, in fact. You realize Jesus did a lot of scandalous things in his day. And he asked her this question. Do you know who asked you for a drink? If you had known, you would have asked him for a drink. And he would have given you living water. Which should create a question in our own minds. Do you know who has invited you to come to drink of the water that only he can give? Do you know who has invited you to come and and allow him to give you a drink? Come to Jesus. Drink of him. And you will never, 
have to thirst again. That's the invitation. Here's the promise. He who believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now you think about a heart. What is the condition of a heart in order for living waters or anything to flow out of it? It's got to be open. Is your heart open? Are you trusting Jesus? He who believes in me, not he who just gives lip service. This word believes in him speaks of our inmost being, our trust. Do you trust him? Jesus promises those who believe in him, those who trust in him, shall have flowing out of their heart rivers of living water. Those who trust in Christ shall have the flow of God's spirit as a source of life flowing from their hearts. Only an open heart can trust in the Lord. And only from an open heart can the flow of the river of living water, the river, the water of God's Spirit, flows from an open heart. We are a dry wilderness, a desert wasteland apart from Christ. We may not know it, but that is our true condition if we are not connected to Jesus. We have hearts of stone, the Bible says. This is in Ezekiel's prophecy. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God says, I'll take your cold, stony heart, your dead, stone-cold heart, and give to you warm hearts of flesh. We have hearts of stone, hard and dead and lifeless, but God can make water flow even from rocks. He can transform a hard heart into a warm heart of flesh. He can transform a dry wasteland into a land flowing with living water and blooming with life. And out of our dry wilderness, God causes rivers of water to flow. This is God's promise to those who trust him. Listen to the words of the prophet. Listen to the promise of God. Isaiah 40 3 verse 20, the beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. I want you to notice that God does that for his people, for his chosen, not just for anyone. He's done it. The world, the world takes in and benefits from the grace of God. But the grace of God has been poured out upon the world for God's people, for his chosen. This is what the prophet tells us here in Isaiah 43. Listen to Isaiah 44.3. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. This is exactly why we baptized little James today because the promise of God to believing parents is that he will pour out his blessing on your offspring. Parents, you have a right and you are not faithful if you are not trusting the promises of God for your children. But as you trust for your children, you better live those promises. You better trust for yourself as you trust for your children. 
Because faithfulness is not just what we say. Faithfulness is who we are and what we do. Isaiah 55, 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. In Revelation 21, 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Are you thirsty? Do you know your need for that living water? Are you trusting him? This is his promise to those who trust him. For all who trust in Jesus, the fountain of the water of life is not only a source for us, but a source to flow from us out into the world that is in desperate need of the saving life of Jesus Christ. The Christ that lives in us must be the Christ that flows from us. The living water that sustains us is the only water that can sustain others. The new hearts we receive by grace through faith in Jesus are hearts that are open and flowing with the living water of His Spirit. We cannot trust in Christ and live with our hearts dammed up and holding back the very life that saves us. We must open our hearts, and we must be opened up that we would open and allow the flow of His Spirit to issue forth from our very life as a witness to Him and His glorious saving power. The same Spirit He poured into our hearts in love must flow out of our hearts in love to the world around us. That's the promise. If you trust in him, out of your hearts will flow rivers of living water. Here's the warning. So there was a division among the people. Some said he was the prophet. Some said he's the Messiah. Some said we need to believe him. Others said, no, don't believe him. He's a deceiver. Scripture says the Messiah will come from Bethlehem, be the seed of David. Who is this man? He came from Nazareth. Little did they know. The same river of living water that brings life to a dry land also brings a division. Every river has two banks. A river is a source of life, but it's also a source of division. On our southern border, we have a river called the Rio Grande that separates the United States of America from the nation of Mexico. That river is a border. It divides two nations. So a river is a source of life. It's also a source of division, and that's not necessarily always bad. It's just the reality. When the children of Israel were made the promise of a land, guess what they had to do? They had to cross a river to leave the wilderness, what was called the wilderness, in order to go into the promised land. The only difference between that land on one side of the river And the land on the other side of the river was what God said. This side is the promised land. This side is the wilderness. But if you're just there at the Jordan River looking one side and the other, there's grass here, there's grass there, there's trees there, there's trees here. The rocks are white here, the rocks are white over there. 
the same little rocks and pebbles on the riverbank here or the same little rocks and pebbles on the riverbank there. It looks the same to me. What's the big deal? It's just a river. Yet that river divided a land, and one was called a wilderness and one was called the promise. Luke chapter 12, verse 49, the words of Jesus. Listen carefully. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That division is at the point of answering this question, what are we going to do with Jesus? Who do we believe Jesus is? In John's gospel, it said some believed he was the prophet, some believed he was the Christ, others believed he was false, he was the deceiver. Some said we should listen to his words, others said, no, don't listen to his words. It's all make-believe, it's all fake, it's not real. So there was a division among the people. That division is at the point of our love. Who or what do you love more than Jesus? Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. To some people, that sounds like craziness. But for those who are trusting in Jesus, those are the words of life. Paul says this message is foolishness to those who are perishing. It sounds like hogwash. It sounds like utter foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the words of life. And for those who have been saved, for those who have received the love of God in Jesus Christ, you understand that you cannot love, truly love, apart from the love of God. We have no love in us until God puts his love in us. We are darkness until we are made light in the Lord. We are lost in death until we are made alive by God. We are dry, barren, desert lands until God in His love pours His Spirit into our hearts. Just as it was in Jesus' day, it is today. Listen again. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Many people make claims about Jesus. Many people claim to love Jesus. But there is a marked division between those who actually know and are known by Jesus and those who claim to know. There is a marked division between those who claim to love Jesus from their lips and those who actually love him 
from an open heart that God has put within them. Jesus said very simply in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. The true test, the true dividing line is not ultimately what we say, but what we do. Jesus has given an invitation to those thirsty. He says, come and drink of me. He has given a promise to those trusting him. He says, out of your hearts will flow rivers of living water. I feel dry, Lord. Trust me. Because out of that dry ground will flow rivers of living water. Jesus has given a warning to all. There is a division among the people because of him. There has always been a division and there always will be until he comes and puts all of his enemies under his feet, especially that last enemy, which is death. Until then, we are to strive to come to the unity of the faith, rooted and grounded in the truth as it is in Jesus. In that unity, we are invited to the Lord's table to celebrate our one life, in our one God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you trust in Jesus, you are invited to come and not only drink, but to dine at his table with thankful hearts for all he has done to save his people. So Christian, as you trust in Jesus, come to his table and come to Jesus. I'm going to let the words of Revelation chapter 22 verse 17 be our very simple charge today. And the spirit and the bride say come and let him who hears say come and let him who thirst come. Whoever desires let him take the water of life freely. My prayer is that you desire, my prayer is that you will come, my prayer is that you will drink freely and live and share that life and make that life known with all others. Amen.